Hello, and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you would like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. This podcast is made possible due to the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you would like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the giving tab. Or you can text the amount of your contribution to 84321. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. What's going on, Faith Church? Good morning to our Faith Church family. We want to welcome everybody here. Thanks so much for showing up. To all of our first-time guests and those coming back, we're glad that you're here. I want to welcome those who are watching online. We're glad that you're tuning in. Hey, listen, everybody, we are continuing today a series we started several weeks ago entitled Prescribed. The same way you and I, sometimes we get sick and we get under the weather and we go through some type of illness, and we go see a medical professional. We go see a doctor, and they do what they're trained to do, and that is to diagnose our disease and prescribe some kind of remedy. But there's another doctor that we've been looking at through this series. He has got the title. He garnered it. He earned it. He deserves it as the great physician because he's been changing lives and healing lives for centuries, and he's still on the move. I wish he could get some Sunday morning Yelp reviews. We're talking about Jesus. And Jesus, just like your regular physician, Jesus, he does the exact same thing. He diagnoses diseases of the heart of the human condition, of our struggles, of my struggles, your struggles. And he doesn't just diagnose the disease, but he also prescribes remedies. He tells us what it is that we need to do in order to be whole, in order to get through, in order to get to the other side. But just like your regular physician, the same is true with Jesus, that his treatment is really only as effective as our trust, which means if we don't listen to what he has to say and if we don't surrender to what he prescribes to us, we'll never really get whole. In fact, what we've been saying through this entire series is something that James challenges us to. The brother of Jesus, he wrote this. He said, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor, which means when we'll hear what Jesus has to say about what's going on in our lives, and think about it in this room. All of us in this room, we have our own situations, our own battles, our own dreams, our own struggles. And so Jesus says, hey, if, if, or James says, hey, if you'll come and you'll humble, you'll bend the knee, if you'll surrender, if you'll submit to not just the diagnosis. See, it's so easy for us to recognize we need help. It's easy to recognize that there's a shortcoming or a gap. It's easy to recognize the struggle. What's not always easy for us is to submit ourselves to what Jesus says we got to do to get to the other side. But the promise is, and this is what we've been talking about through this series, if we will submit ourselves, if we'll trust the treatment of the great physician, he says what? Come on, shout it. He'll lift you up. Come on, make that personal. He'll lift me up. He'll lift you up in your relationships. He'll lift you up in your marriage. He'll lift you up in strength and joy. His promise is no matter what level you are to take you to another level if you'll bow to the treatment that he prescribes. I think that's some great news today. So through this series, we've looked at a couple of things. In fact, week one, we checked out the broad brush stroke of sin. Anytime you talk about sin in church, it's always a winning message. And, uh, but all of us, it's the human condition. It's what we all deal with. And so we hear not only the diagnosis of Jesus, but he prescribed some very radical treatment. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to go back online and you can check it out. And then last week, we talked about something that I think all of us maybe wrestle with, and that is trying to have a really meaningful prayer life and what Jesus prescribed for unanswered prayers. And, they, and his prescription was this, shameless persistence. 
And man, I was, I was fired up last week because I walked out and I heard from so many of you who said, Pastor, I'm re-engaging, I'm digging in, I'm going to keep asking like I thought it was wrong to keep asking, but I'm in. And some of you, man, I believe God's going to start answering prayers in powerful ways as you are shamelessly persistent. Yes. And so today um, we're going to head into, and I just want to jump right into the prescription, okay? We're going to jump right into the prescription. This is one of the most radical things that Jesus prescribes in the New Testament. In fact, I think you'll agree when you say it. Jesus actually says this one time. He says, hey, eat his flesh and drink his blood. And you thought cough syrup was bad. Come on. <laughs> he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. You gotta, I mean, it begs the question, if this is the prescription, what's the diagnosis? Like, what is he telling us to do if this is what, he, what the response is, if this is we have to submit ourselves to? And like a lot of things in life, especially when it comes to church or spiritual religious things, you need context for it to make sense. Because come on, anybody who's been at church for only a little while, if you're new to church, there are some things that are kind of spooky, kind of weird. Come on, everybody, you can say it, it's kind of different. There are some things, if you don't have the context to it, it can be outright freaky. And so, uh, for example, you know, when I first started going to church, when I was 17 years old, the church I walked into was a hymn-singing church. Actually, we're here in the South. It was a hymn sang in church. And uh, one, of, you know, one of the hymns we sing, right, is, Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? And I'm like, uh, no, no, and I don't really want to be because I don't need washed in blood because that's weird. Come on. Anybody remember singing songs like that? I'm like, I'm out. Where's the exit? But, you know, it sounds weird until context. Well, context is that Jesus is our sacrifice. The Father sent him, and only through Christ I find forgiveness, and I find a relationship with God, and I get a brand new beginning. So I'm all about it. Are you washed in the blood? I'm like, I'm about it now because now what was weird has context. Here's another one. We walk into churches, and some of you come from churches where you thought you couldn't make any noise, and we hope here at Faith Church you can shout, sing, you can amen, you can lift your hands, because when you ever walk into a church, you've never seen it, lifting hands can be kind of weird. Come on. First time I walked in, I seen people lifting hands in church. I was like, what are they reaching at? And should I be reaching too? Now I'm a hammer there, I'm a pointer, and I'm a double handle or a single handle. I mean, because I'm all about it, because I understand that Scripture tells us that part of our worship is lifting up holy hands before God. It's coming in with a heart of surrender. It's coming in with a heart of exaltation. So now I understand the context to what once seemed weird has this powerful meaning. And so what Jesus tells us here is not a throwback to the launch of The Walking Dead next Sunday. Some of you are excited about that. What this is is Jesus is prescribing something that seems so radical and so offensive, but you have to have the backstory for it to make sense. So, the backstory is John chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you, you can open it up. If you don't have a Bible, you can check out the Sky Bible on the walls behind me, um, and you can read some of this story. We're going we're gonna to kind of skip through a lot of this, but I would encourage you this week maybe to go back to John chapter 6 and read it all. But the context of the prescription of Jesus to tell people, hey, eat my flesh and drink my blood, the context is this, is Jesus, he's doing his thing. He's out teaching. He's teaching in a way, man, people are shocked to begin to understand who God is, what God is like. Jesus is teaching on this idea of the kingdom of God, and the movement is gaining momentum. Every time Jesus looks over his shoulder, the crowd 
is larger. Every time he looks behind him, there's more people following. And it turns from hundreds into thousands. And as people follow him, he doesn't just teach. Jesus begins to heal people and minister to people. And I just want you to know something today, that God doesn't change. He is immutable. The way the New Testament says it is that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the reason I tell you that is if you're here and you're struggling, Jesus still sets people free. He still heals today. He still delivers today. God still works miracles today. And so as he works miracles, people begin to follow out of their curiosity And out of their desire to have their needs met, man, this movement just keeps gaining more momentum. And finally, what John does not record, but several other of the gospel writers record, is that at one point, it's been about three days. And this mass of humanity has has grown to, uh, the New Testament records it as 5,000 men, so it's 15, 20,000 plus people. And Jesus realizes, like, hey, we've not really had a, we've not had lunch yet. And this crowd is hungry, and so he decides that he's going to feed them in this really powerful, in fact, one, I think one of the most powerful miracles that he does. Jesus takes the lunch of a little boy, five loaves, little rolls, and two fish, and he feeds 5,000 people, men, 20,000 people total. Crazy. You want to talk about a miracle meal, 20,000 people fed. When I first read this um, as a new believer, I thought, bread, I, I don't know. I mean, is that the best Jesus can do? Then I started thinking about it. Let's be honest. Bread sometimes is the best part of a meal when you go into a restaurant. Come on, somebody. Listen, you can go into a restaurant. Has anybody ate so much bread that you didn't want to eat your meal? Because if that's not happening, you're going to the wrong restaurants. You need to hit some Logan's. Come on, Texas Roadhouse. I imagine this, this story going down when I read it. Someone in the back of the crowd being like, I need some more cinnamon butter. Woo! Olive Garden, breadsticks. Sweet Lord. I felt, feel the Holy Ghost when I said that. Right here, right here. I might fall out in the spirit when I say this one. Red Lobster, Cheddar Biscuits. Woo, woo. See, all of a sudden, I mean, I just wondered, did Jesus like pass out some like Wonder Bread or was it Cheddar Biscuits? My Jesus is a Cheddar Biscuit Jesus. Or, now if you live in Florence, see, you can, you can, never, you can never undervalue that we get the privilege to live in Florence, Alabama. Riccatoni, come in the white bag bread. Woo! Some of you are going to Riccatoni's today, I guarantee it. And so Jesus, he goes on a bread and fish, and he hands it out, or he blesses it, and God multiplies it, and he feeds 20,000 people. They take it up, and it's crazy. People are full and overflowing, and there's barrels full left over because of the miracle of Jesus. And even though Jesus is 100% God in the flesh, incarnation, God showed up and wrapped himself in humanity, he's still 100% man. And so after days of teaching and praying for people and ministering to the sick and working miracles, he's tapped out, he's exhausted, and so he knows his only solution is to get alone with the Father, which a great lesson not to spend time on today, but for you, listen, if you're tapped out, the best thing you can do is spend time with the Father. The Bible says if you'll wait upon him, he'll renew your strength. God can do something for you that a power nap can't do, that, listen to me, that a power bar can't do. Jesus can renew you if you'll just get alone and spend time with him. And so Jesus sneaks off. He doesn't even tell his disciples he's leaving. He just gets away. The disciples, they're hanging out as the story goes on. They're looking for Jesus. They don't know where he is. So they all get in boats, and they travel across the Sea of Galilee 
to the other side to a city called Capernaum. Fast forward about 12 hours. The disciples, they pull up onto the edge of the sea and there's Jesus. Here's what's crazy is they weren't there alone. Guess who showed up on the other side of the sea? The crowd. You know why? Because they wanted an encore. They had dinner and now they want breakfast. They're like, hey, it's time to get on some pancakes, some crepes, something, right? They want to see Jesus redo what he did the night before. The problem with that is, is Jesus was not trying to give them food. Jesus was trying to give them faith. Jesus was trying to do something much deeper than just meet their physical needs. In fact, when he seen them, when they seen them, he said this. Jesus replied, he sees this crowd and they're, they're clamoring for more miracles. They're clamoring for more food. And Jesus replied, he tells the crowd, I tell you the truth. Come on, y'all read this. You want to be with me because I fed you because you don't understand the miraculous signs. See, this crowd, not unlike some of us at times, were caught up in the superficial stage of faith. Are you caught up in the superficial stage of faith? Are you stuck on the external? In fact, he goes on and he says this. He says, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Again, some of us in this room, we get stuck with a high priority on the perishable. All we want God to do is fix the external. We get stuck on the temporary. And if we're not careful, right? I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes we come to church because we find ourselves in a crisis of life. Our spouse tells us they want a divorce. Our kids are off the rail. We just got a report from the doctor that we're sick and it may be terminal. There's a lot of things that drive us to God and and that's great. And I think God's open to that, that whatever brings us to the place that we recognize our need for him, that's all wonderful. And God cares about every situation you're in. He cares when you're sick and you're struggling and you're hurting. But at the end of the day, sometimes if we're not careful, we only show up for the promises and we never get past that supernatural stage. And if we're not careful, Jesus will only be a Santa Claus and never a savior. And Jesus came not just to give us stuff, but to fix us on the inside. He doesn't want to do the temporary. He wants to do the permanent. He doesn't want to just fix the external. He wants to fix the internal. And so that's what he's trying to do. See, all of the miracles that Jesus worked, again, he did it. It's so clear. Scripture says things like this, that he was moved with compassion when he, see the, when he would see the needs of the crowd. I mean, so we know he, he hurt because he saw people hurting. But he made it so clear that really the drive of meeting these temporary needs was so people would come to the place and say, hey, if, if he can feed me, and hey, if he can heal me, then he can meet the ultimate need of what's broken on the inside of me. That if he can meet my physical needs, he can meet my soul needs. And for all of us in this room, like, again, that's, that's the goal. That's where we have to come to, that we're just not in it for what he's doing for us. And because I want you to know something. Listen, Jesus, he can, he can pay all your bills. I just need my bills paid. God, I need you to pay my rent. God cares about you having a roof over, over your head. 
God, I'm sick. I just need you to heal me. God cares that you're sick. But listen to me, God can keep paying your rent. God can keep restoring your marriage. God can keep healing your body. But bills keep coming due. Bodies keep breaking down. What Jesus wants you to know and what he wants me to know today is, is we got to get to the place that we open up our heart and allow him to do a soul work that never stops. In fact, he says it this way. He says, Jesus replied, I'm the bread of life. You got to love some Christ carbs. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So he's saying, man, I, I care about what you want. I care about what you need. But if I keep just feeding that and you never go past the superficial stage of faith, you'll never get what you need. And so he's looking at this crowd that's following him, and all they want is another meal, and he, he understands they're not getting it. Like, they just want me to keep feeding them, and that's not what I came for. I didn't come just for physical bread. It's like, you know, dealing with kids. I, some of you guys in this room, you have young toddlers, or if you don't and you have them, this is coming. That stage where they're just hard to feed. Let me just say this. It's your job as a parent. It's not your job to feed them. It's your job to, to nourish them which, come on, is not the same thing. Uh, and let me tell you what I mean by that. It's your job to make sure they're eating food that's actually going to give them the nutrition they need, but it's so hard because normally the food that gives them nutrition is the stuff that tastes nasty. Come on. And so you have those kids who, like, the only thing they'll eat is processed frozen food. And we went through that stage at our house uh, for a long time um, eating pizza rolls. Like my son, that's all he would eat is pizza rolls. And no matter what we would fix for dinner, he, wouldn't, he wasn't having it. Now, I was raised up in a house where if you didn't eat what was fixed, come on, you didn't eat. You eat what's served, do you go to bed? Come on, somebody. But we went through a lot of pizza rolls, which means my wife won that battle. So she would make these just pizza rolls. That's all he would eat. There's nothing wrong with pizza rolls, but I can't imagine the, there's very much nutrition in pizza rolls. I came up in a house where my mom just didn't want to fill my belly. She wanted to make sure I had the nourishment that I needed. And so you would often find things on your plate, come on, like lima beans and beets and peas. And it was the kind of thing where in my house, you couldn't get up from the table till you cleaned your plate. And so there are pictures of me as a toddler that I was still sitting up at night where I was asleep. And I got to look back and I got to wonder who won the fight that I went, because I didn't eat it. That's all I'm saying. But my dad's like, but you didn't get down either. <laughs> But it's like this. It's like we keep coming to Jesus and we want a quick sugar fix. God, I need a better job. God, I need you to help me with my test score. God, I need you to help me to get through this struggle. God, I need you to help me find a man. And Jesus is like, like, I care about your relationship and I want to bless your success and I want to see you whole. But at the end of the day, if he fixes everything on the outside, it's just going to keep breaking down. You're just going to keep getting hungry. God, I need you to fix a soul need that will never be hungry again. That's why he's having you follow I would say it this way if you're taking notes. We only want Jesus to treat the symptom. He wants to be the cure. There is something in the medical field. There are some people that are kind of radical. Um, we, I know we have a lot of medical health professionals in our church family, um, a lot of people who are doctors and nurses and medical care professionals, and so I don't at all want to pretend to know the game but I know there are some people that push back against the prescription of medications because they feel like it really only treats the symptom and not really the problem. And so their goal is, especially through health nutrition and things like that, they'll say, hey, let's get down to what the, what the, let's treat the problem. 
There's a friend of mine, for example, several years ago, he came to me, we were in our early 30s, and he had gone to the doctor and found out that he had high blood pressure. He had put on some, some weight, as you tend to do as you go through life. And so the doctor just said, hey, I'm going to prescribe you some medication. You can't have high blood pressure. Your arteries can't stand up to it. Your heart can't stand up to it. So we need to get your blood pressure down. So I'm going to give you a pill. I'm going to prescribe you a pill. Well, the good thing was my friend, he's like, hey, I don't want to take pills for the rest of my life. Like, what do I need to do to fix the problem? Like, I'm not really interested in, in, in the symptom. Like, what's the problem? And the doctor was honest enough to say you're fat. Well, he probably didn't say it like that. <laughs> he probably had better bedside manners than that. But at the end of the day, it's because he was fat. And so my buddy's like, hey, so if I lose some weight, I don't have to be on pills, right? And the doctor said, I, yeah, I think if you'll do that. So, man, he went after it. He started hitting the gym. He started eating right. He started losing weight. And he dropped like 30 pounds. And I, I wasn't happy for him at all. Because when you're a big guy and you hang out with big guys, you don't feel like a big guy. But when you're a big guy and everybody starts losing weight and then you're the only big guy, then you're the fat guy. And so I'm like, man, you need to put some more weight on. We need to go get some pizza and get some pills. You know what I mean? So, but I was proud of him because he lost enough weight and maintained his health that he dealt with the symptom and not just the problem. See, we are a pill generation. We just want to keep Jesus, keep fixing the outside. And again, I'm going to keep saying it. Jesus wants to fix the issue of the heart. God wants to feed you on a level, hear this, that if he never pays another bill, never heals another sickness, if he never does another thing for you, you're still satisfied because the soul need that only Christ can meet has been met. And so finally, man, this crowd's like, feed us, just give us more food. And Jesus is like, hey, man, I'm trying to get you somewhere deeper. And finally, he issues again the prescription we started with. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life. Now, I know you're saying, well, pastor, like, what does that mean? This is not a call to cannibalism. What this is, is a very serious call to commitment. Like Jesus is saying, basically, hey, I want you to be all in. We can understand, again, Jesus is just using this hyperbolic, radical-type speech. He's not really calling people to eat his body. That's weird. We know through this text, several times, Jesus tells us really what he wants from people. Not just those people 2,000 years ago. Jesus is making it really clear what he wants from you. If you ever wake up in the day and just maybe have it on your mind, like, like, what does God want from me? You know he tells us right here. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. What is it? Believe. Come on, everybody, shout that word. Believe in the one he sent. That's what God wants from you. And then if, man, you'll come to this place, you'll believe everything else will flow out of your true faith in God. Again, it's not eating his flesh, it's believing. Jesus says again, for it's my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Again, these are all said in the same context, the same conversation with the same crowd. Jesus is communicating what he's calling for. I tell you the truth. Come on, read it one more time. Anyone who believes has eternal life. And so it's what Jesus is saying is the same way that you depend on temporary bread to feed you temporarily. Jesus is saying, I want you to have the same level of dependence on me. Like we get it. If you don't eat, what happens if you don't eat long enough? Come on, you don't just get hungry. If you stay hungry long enough, what happens? You die. And Jesus is saying this same dependence that you have in this 
physical bread that I provided for you for physical life. He's saying, I want you to have the same level of dependence in me for spiritual life, that if you don't have me, you can't survive. If you're not dependent on me, and listen to me, there's a lot of church people sitting in a lot of churches. There's a lot of religious people floating around that says, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Belief in Jesus is not the mental ascent that you know who he is and you know his name and you say it when you smash your finger with a, uh, with a hammer. Faith in Jesus is full dependence on who he is and what he's done for you. That I can't save myself, fix myself, or fill myself. Only Jesus can do it. And I'm fully depending on him the way I depend on him for physical food. He's my spiritual food and he fills me up and I'm never hungry again. And so that's really what he's calling people to. But here's the thing. This crowd, again, this momentum building messages that Jesus had preached, that the movement had amassed itself to thousands of people. They hear this call of commitment from Jesus, and like us, they weren't having it. In fact, listen to the response that happens. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Like people start bailing like tens and hundreds. The crowd starts thinning out because, first of all, I think it's hard for us maybe to appreciate how much Jesus had really affected and offended their first century Jewish um, understanding, right? Their sensibilities were so impacted by what Jesus said because as a Jew, it was very clear in the Old Testament law that you could not eat meat with blood in it. You had to eat meat that was strangled or strained. And here's Jesus, and Jesus stands up and says, hey, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they got it. Like, they weren't just, it wasn't just that. Really, Jesus recognizes because he can read, he reads our hearts. He knows really what we think. It was really their faith. They, again, just wanted the temporary, not the permanent fix. But so they start bailing out. And you got to ask yourself a question, like, is Jesus really that offensive? Does Jesus really call for that level of commitment? And I think if you read the New Testament, while we may not be offended by Jesus telling us to eat his flesh and drink his blood, there's some things that Jesus calls us to today in 21st century America that I think if we're honest is just as offensive. Things, if we're honest enough to hear the call of commitment that he puts on our lives, if we're honest, it might at times tempt us to walk away too. In fact, Jesus says this about family. One of the greatest things that probably many of us in this room hold dear. Sometimes our extended family can be crazy. But let's be honest, our, our hub, our central, man, that's what we hold dear. You know what Jesus said about family? Listen to this. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. I said, Pastor, wait a minute. Are you, are you telling me that Jesus doesn't want me to love my kids? No, 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 no. Are you saying he doesn't want me to love my, my, my husband or my wife? Not at all. But he's saying in a world of the temporary, don't get caught up in just today. Like you got to pull back and get the big picture that Jesus has to be the preeminent focus of your heart and your passion and your trust and everything else has to take second place. And that's offensive because if we're honest at times, our family doesn't really always want us serving God. And sometimes they think we're radical about our faith. And sometimes there are spouses that have to come to church alone because maybe their spouse isn't there yet. And Jesus is saying, hey, just keep following. But it's a high call. In fact, he says this, if you're here and you have some affluence or influence in this world, if you got some bling in the bank, 
Listen to what Jesus said to somebody who had some money back in the day. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. What? Let me say this. If the Jesus you serve never calls you to high sacrifice, then maybe you're not serving the Jesus of the New Testament. Because as you read, here's the crazy thing. Jesus talks in this dichotomy of speech. Like he talks in this, like he'll say one thing and say something else, and they're not contradictory. They're very much complementary, but they seem that way. Like he'll call, he'll make high promises, but at the same time, he'll call for deep sacrifices. He'll say things like, man, the gospel's free, but then he'll tell us it'll cost you everything. Well, Jesus, which is it? Is it free or is it costly? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's both. And so sometimes, again, man, we get caught in the momentum of the crowd because, man, we just want Jesus. Lord, I just need you to help me out today. And Jesus is like, I will help you, and I will meet you, and I can heal you, and I can give you strength, and I can meet your daily needs. But you got to let me down deep where it matters. you got to let me get to the root of the problem. you got to me, let me get to the heart of the issue. And so he comes and... He calls to this crowd. He's asking them for 100%. Hey, you need to let me in and not just serve you another meal. He's asking for 100%. And Jesus can ask for 100%. Do you know why? Because he's offering 100%. It's eggs and bacon, baby. You ever hear the story of eggs and bacon? The eggs and bacon is the chicken and the pig who got to offer breakfast up to the farmer. The chicken's like, I'm all about it. Well, yeah, the pig's like, yeah, because all you got to do is cough up some eggs. The pig's got to lay down his life for the farmer to have some bacon. Jesus isn't calling you and taking eggs. He's saying, I'm laying down my life. I'm giving 100%. He's calling people who follow him to give 100%. I'm all in. I'm all in. So pull back. Remember the disciples there, there too. And they're watching this story unfold. They're watching this conversation between Jesus and this multitude. Where Jesus is like, again, man, like me feeding you is great. But that's not really the goal. The goal is me to fix you, for you to find a deep dependence on me alone. And people are offended, man. That's not what they wanted. That's not what they signed up for. So the disciples are standing there watching this whole conversation unfold. The crowd is thinning. Jesus is not backing down from his call to commitment. And in the middle of this, as they watch the crowd thin, one eye on Jesus, one eye on the crowd, the Bible says, then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, hey, are you also going to leave? I'm going to tell you guys, if you follow Jesus long enough, there are times he will call you to make a sacrifice that will be difficult. He'll call you to let something go that you want to hold on to. He'll call you to pick something up that you don't want to carry in life. And you might be at a place today or you maybe have been in a place recently where you've been tempted to walk away. Like, I don't know if I can keep following Jesus. I'm not sure I'm there. And I just want to pull you to the end of this story, a statement that Simon says to Jesus in response, hey, are you leaving too? And I hope that this today is where you are. In the middle of your temptation, in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your struggle to wonder, are you really all in? Here's what Simon Peter says in response to Jesus' question. Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe. Everybody say that. 
We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. What he's saying is this, like, Lord, I don't, I don't know, man, I don't know if I'm always there. I don't know if I can always rise to the occasion. Like there's times I, I'm tempted to walk away like the multitude's walking away, but here's the question, where else can we go? Who else promises to bring life? Who else can bring this world hope? Who else can restore a broken heart? Who else but Christ? He's the only one that can fix what's broken in humanity and inside you and inside me. I don't always like what he says. I don't always like what he calls me to, but he's the only one. He's the only one who came to rescue us. He's the only one who showed up to save us. He's the only one. And so Jesus, I've made a decision. I believe. I don't know if I always agree. I don't know if I always like it, but I choose to believe in you. I choose to put my full trust in who you are and what you've done for me. So I don't know if I like staying, but you're the only option. And I'm going to stick it out. And so this morning as we close, the call is this. You want life? You got to be all in. You got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. You say again, what does it mean? Fast forward, not long after this conversation happened, the disciples were sitting around a table with Jesus and did just what we did a little while ago. And all of a sudden it clicked. When Jesus sat there at the last supper with his disciples, y'all remember it? Pull in, it's just a few days before Jesus is sacrificed for our sin. They just finished a meal and the Bible says that Jesus takes bread. He says, hey, I'm not asking you to really eat my flesh, but this this bread represents my body that's broken for you. You're broken. I'm whole. Let's switch. He says, this cup represents my blood shed for you. It's just wine, but it represents something so much greater. You're a sinner. I'm perfect. Let's switch. So eat the bread. Drink the cup. Eat his flesh. Drink his blood. Be all in believing that he's all in for you. And that's where you find life. And when you wonder, can I keep following? When the call to commitment's too high, can you stay in the game? Where else can you go? He's the only one who gave it all for you. So Father, we love you today. I pray God in Jesus' name, help us God as we wrestle through the high call of commitment. God, to always come back to the place that you're the only one. And as people in this room, God, struggle with the call in their own life and wonder, is now the time to walk away? I pray that, God, they would dig in their faith and they would open up their heart and allow you to do the deep work of healing every one of hearts, of restoring every life. Listen, as I close today, if you're here and you say, Pastor Steve, like, I've never really allowed God in. I played church. I prayed that he would fix my temporary needs, but you've never opened your heart to the salvation, to forgiveness that everyone needs. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all messed up. We've all fallen short. We're all sinners. We're all in need of a Savior, and Jesus came to be that Savior. And so if you're here and you've never said yes, you need to say yes. That's like a meal. Everybody can go to dinner, but you got to eat it yourself. When Jesus says, hey, you eat the flesh, you drink the blood, you got to personally take it for yourself. If you've never said yes, as I close today, I want to give you a chance for you to find eternal life, for you to find real life, not just now in the temporary but real life forever in eternity. And so if you're here and you say, Pastor Steve, I've never said yes. I've never, I've never made that decision. And this morning, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to, 
I want to ask him to forgive me of my sin. I want him to be my savior. If that's you, I want you to lift a hand real high and I'm going to pray for you. Say, today I want to give my life to Christ. Today I want to turn my heart to him. I want you to lift a hand up real high and leave it up. Come on, all over this room. Listen, you need Jesus. That's why he came. If you want to say yes, come on, throw a hand in the air real high and leave it up so I can see you all over this building. I'm going to wait one second. Come on, if that's you, God's dealing with your heart. You need to give your life to him. Come on, just throw a hand in the air. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, young lady. Thank you, this couple over here to my left. Thank you. Several hands in this building. The Bible says if individually we'll say yes out of our mouth, yes to him. And in our heart, we'll have faith. We'll believe that he died for us and rose again. The Bible says through that, through your simple act of just putting your trust in him, you're saved. And so all over this room, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you lifted a hand, you can just whisper a prayer. You can say it in your heart to him. You can say it out loud, however you want it. But just say, Jesus, I put my trust in you. I've sinned and I've messed up and I need a savior. Come forgive me. Come make me whole and help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you for salvation that comes through you alone. God, help us to rise to the call of commitment this week and to follow you and to be sold out in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen. Hey, be here Wednesday night for the business meeting at 6, vision meeting at 6.30. God bless you guys.